morning. Huh? Yeah, there we go. Good morning, guys. My name is Missy Bell. Like Courtney said, I am with Olive Crest. It's so good to be back with you guys. Um, I love um, I love being here. So um, I feel like before we should we begin, um, we should just acknowledge the Dodger fans in the room. If you want to raise your hand, um, y'all got smoked. Y'all got smoked. <laughs> Padres fans in this room that are here this morning. It was a late night. That rain delay got us all, but um, I, knowing I wanted to be my best for this morning, I went to bed at the best inning when the Padres took over, and I was like, Lord, you got this, and I'm going to head to sleep. So for all you Padres fans, way to be here, you know, way to get up and be here. Um, but yeah, like Courtney said, my name is Missy Bell. I work for Olive Crest. Um, we believe in transforming the lives of at-risk youth through the healing power of God, community, and family. And Water's Edge has been such a gift to Olive Crest. Um, with your host families, um, with your ministry leader, you guys are absolutely incredible. So it is always a joy um, to be here and get to share from God's word. Um, and we know that God speaks to us. Um, and one of the ways he does that is through scripture. And so we're going to be in Matthew 22 today, continuing our series of Finishing Well, a lifelong following of the Messiah. Um, and this title, the title for this series mentions lifelong, and we are covering that today um, as we see a glimpse of heaven and how that impacts our present relationship um, with God. So before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, dear Jesus, you are so good. God, your faithfulness is so sweet. Your love and attention to us is so humbling. Um, God, we thank you that we could gather here this morning. Lord, we don't ever take that for granted. Um, and Lord, we thank you that we get to be in the fellowship of believers who know you and call you Lord. And for those that don't, God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to them this morning. Um, so Jesus, be near. Would your Holy Spirit be recognizable to us um, and give us hearts to understand this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to share a story. Uh, I was in elementary school, and I remember a dream. It's like, I don't dream often, and I certainly don't remember them if I do. So this one in particular still brings me joy. Um, but I was in elementary school. I was about seven years old, and I was um, at my elementary playground, Olivenhine Pioneer, OPE, just down the street. And um, I remember in this dream, I was running, which that in itself is a dream, because I don't run. Um, and on the playground, as I'm running, there's bowls, styrofoam bowls of whipped cream. And in and these whipped cream bowls were all colored differently, right? There is like the rainbow in these whipped cream bowls. And I'm running, and this was like, I was looking around, and I was like, pure joy. I don't know, there's something about it that was like magical to me. There was like a golden hue. And I just remember waking up as a seven-year-old going, I think that was heaven. <laughs> like, I think that was actually heaven, which I don't know what that says about my heaven as a seven-year-old. Um, actually, it doesn't sound that terrible right now, but I don't know maybe what your heaven, when you think of heaven, what you think of, maybe it includes fountains of chocolate, you know, or uh, never-ending milkshakes, or maybe there's a person there in your heaven. Um, but all that to say, we know heaven is going to be so much more than bowls of whipped cream, right? Or tasty treats. Um, 
And while heaven is a final destination, it's certainly not the goal, right? Um, again, it's the final destination, but it's not the goal of our lives here on earth. And um, in the past passage that we're going to take a look at today, um, the Sadducees are trying to confuse Jesus uh, by bringing up the next life. And Jesus reminds them that a relationship with him through simple obedience is what he desires. Um, and we're going to get to the text, but I want to set the background for us because we hear these names like Sadducees and Pharisees, and we're all like, yeah, we all like smile and nod, right? Because we're Christians, we've heard that, those terms. But I want to like bring us up to speed in case maybe we're not super familiar with these groups of people. Um, so let's talk about the Sadducees. So we were introduced to this group of people in the last chapter um, when Jesus had just a small encounter with them in the temple when he flipped their tables. Again, it was like a small, very small, very brief encounter. Um, but they were a small group of religious elites during Jesus' time. Um, and besides the Romans, um, they were the next group that had the most power. Because not only were they the religious, elite, the religious elites, thinking like if you think of the noble priest, the high priest, the chief priest, all in the temple, those were all Sadducees. But outside of the temple, they were also um, high-ranking military officials. Um, they also had accumulated great masses of wealth because, again, they were in the temple and they were um, requiring lots of money from those that visited, right? Jesus flipping table, that's what he was addressing. Um, so their extortion was known in the people. Um, and they had all of the powerful spaces. So who was going to address their extortion, right? If they're all the who's who and all the you know, people to know, there was nobody to address them in their extortion. Um, it's interesting enough, though, in 70 AD, when the temple um, crumbles, um, that's the last time we, heard, we hear about the Sadducees, because they, they got no more money. There's no more money. There was no way to keep them in power. And so just interestingly, external text, there's no more. We don't hear anything more about the Sadducees. Um, and something else to note about this particular people um, is their theology. Um, so they believed only in what's known as the Pentateuch. Again, a very fancy word. But what that means, it, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, um, which, is, which were written by Moses. Um, so they believed it was from these books that Jews would find their authority, and they would live their lives from these five books only. Uh, and something particular about their theology is they were literalists. They were very black and white. They read the Pentateuch. It said what it said. And they were like, great, that's how we respond. There was no interpretation. They were just very pragmatic. Um, but the most distinctive thing um, is that their theology didn't include an afterlife. Uh, so they uh, really believed that what they, their present reality was as good as it was going to get. There was no heaven. There was no hell. It was just right there, um, which explains their, their behavior in the temple, right, for them to steal money and to extort people, because if right now is as good as, as it's going to get, like, what's the point? Like, what's, who's keeping them accountable? You know, we're just going to take all the money. Um, and they were a savage group of people. They were known particularly for their ruthlessness. Uh, and they, uh, it was common at that time, the Sadducees were more brutal than the Pharisees. And we hear a lot about the Pharisees, and we hear a lot about what they did and how they behaved. So just take that up a notch, and you got the Sadducees, right? Um, 
so then enter Jesus, and which is where we're going to find ourselves today. Um, so there's Sadducees right there, and then there's Jesus, who's like the exact antithesis of who the Sadducees are, right? He's drawing people to his side because of his radical care and his loving kindness. Um, and the Sadducees responded to that as a threat because we all know that people who are kind and are caring and who are for you, that is so much more inviting than a person who wants to steal, rob, and pillage, right? <laughs> kind of easy, but they see Jesus, the antithesis of them, and they go, oh, this is a threat that we need to take care of. And so uh, they start to work with the Pharisees, um, and they were nervous that Jesus was going to start this like love revolution, um, and all of their political power was going to be destroyed. So Jesus was a threat to be taken care of. So that is where we are. You're with me, Sadducees? Bad. Jesus? Phenomenal. That's where we are. So let's go ahead and read in Matthew 22, 23. I will give you a time to get there on your phone or in your Bible. And I am just the old school. I prefer the, the good stuff, you know? All right, Matthew 22, 23. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. Uh, let's pause there um, and uh, geek out with the Bible for me for a second. And um, The Sadducees are nodding to a particular passage in Deuteronomy 25.5 that states, uh, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Um, there are biblical stories of this law being fulfilled. Um, in Genesis 38.8, a man named Onan did this, or a better well-known story that probably all of us know is Ruth, married to Boaz's brother Elimelech before he died. So the Sadducees are nodding to the book of Deuteronomy, which is in the Pentateuch, which is the books that they believe in. Um, but what they don't believe is the afterlife. Remember, that was a particular of their theology. There is no afterlife. Um, and isn't that just like faulty logic? They're coming to Jesus, and they're saying, all right, Jesus, if this afterlife is real, tell us about this. But they don't even believe it. Um, so they're, just, they're trying to use a concept they don't believe in to trap Christ. And uh, I love Jesus' answer. In verse 29, it says this. But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. Uh, Jesus essentially is saying, not only do you not get that which you just quoted, but you don't understand the power of God. And for a power-hungry group, he, Jesus was speaking their language, right? So let's go on to verse 30. It says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
So Jesus breaks it down for them. And in my mind, I just hear him saying, well, practically speaking, nobody's married in heaven. So nice try on that one. Um, But let's go back and let's read that verse. It says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And I'm just like wondering how that verse lands with you guys. I, there's times when I preach and speak and I just wish I could like peel it all back and say like, how did that hit? You know, like how did that hit your heart? Um, Because I could imagine for some of you, uh, the idea of not being married in heaven feels maybe more like hell. Because you really love married life. Uh, I love married life. I love uh, waking up to my husband each morning. Um, I love having a person who knows my really weird sense of humor. Um, I love having someone that gets up before me on Saturday mornings and gets Dunkin' Donuts. Like, I love married life. Um, and morning and married life has been really good to me. Um, and those for you who feel similarly, I say, praise the Lord. I'm so glad you have been blessed with a spouse that you uh, really love and you love spending time with. Uh, but for others, um, I, but for others, I believe that maybe hearing that verse and um, that we're not married in heaven might have been a relief. Um, I've talked to Jake about what I'm going to share, so don't worry. It's not like, ooh, cringe. I wonder if they worked that out. Um, <laughs> right? <Aww. laughs> um, but it, <laughs> Jake and I were part of that very, very small group of people whose first year was really hard. Uh, we come from different uh, family backgrounds. Um, we come from very different um, communication styles. Uh, and we come from a different level of extroversion. And the first year of marriage uh, was particularly challenging for us. Um, and if someone told me at that time that we weren't going to be married in heaven, I probably would have been like, I'm so glad I don't have to work at something so hard for the rest of eternity, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, but probably. Um, And if that resonates more with where you're at right now, um, there's people here at Water's Edge that want to come alongside you. um, And they want to meet you in that place and pray with you guys. um, And I invite you to seek that after um, with Courtney and the care team. There's people that want to come alongside you. And there's a third group of people, right? So not to dismiss the one in five of you that are unmarried, and want to be in the married group. Uh, Maybe you're hoping that you won't have to miss out on having a person you get to do life with for eternity. Um, And I have news for all of you, for all of us. Um, We are all married already to the best person, the best God that we could ever imagine. Um, So for those that are married, Who remembers their vows? We're like a little bit, just like a little, we kind of remember our vows. Yeah, okay, we see a few hands, great. Um, And what was the the last sentence of our vows was, typically, till death do us part, right? That's like the end. Um, Because, and what that signifies is that our marriage ends at death, right? There's no way to be married once someone passes away. Um, And in the same way, 
stick with me here, I want all of us to think about our marriage with sin, right? Because we all were once there. Um, And Romans 7 says this. Let's go ahead and flip there in your Bibles and in your phones. Romans 7 says this. All right, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So Paul is saying this, we were all born into sin and were married to the law. And what do we know about the law? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.56 says this, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And if the power of sin is the law, that means, going back to Romans 7, that we were made to die to sin through the body of Christ. So Christ's death, burial, resurrection, this is dying to the law. And as Paul continues, we die to the law. We die to perfectionism. We die to legalism so that we might be joined to another. Again, we die to one thing so that we might be married to another. And yes, you guessed it. Glad you guys are talking, Lord willing. We were married to Christ. We're married to Christ, and that, for some of us, might make us feel uncomfortable because we put on these earthly ideas of what marriage is into that marriage with Christ. But um, I want you to think about this text that we just read. Jesus is thinking of when he shares with the Sadducees that in heaven it won't matter for this woman who's theoretically been married to eight men and who she's going to ma- be end up marrying to. There's no whimsical love story, right? Nicholas Sparks isn't writing a book and how the one woman, who her true love was the third guy, and then that's how it en- ends up in heaven, right? Jesus isn't thinking that. <laughs> he doesn't think that because we know he's, that woman is married to Christ. And we're married to Christ then, and we're married to Christ in the present, because this is the relationship that transcends time and transcends space, right? We go back to our marriage vows and in this earth and with our spouses till death do us part, but there is one relationship that transcends time and space and that is with Christ now and forever. Um, and if some, again, if some of you are perplexed at what this means, I'd love to share more. Um, there is a pastor, author, um, phenomenal man. His name is Paul David Tripp. And he, in his book, How People Change, says this, what does it mean to be married to Christ? That he has made us the recipients of his affection. And in turn, we are to make him the ultimate object of ours. Which brings us to our first point. Christ has made us the full receiver of his affection and in so is making bids for your affection. Um, it, and what that means is we turn to Christ 
um, when he reaches out to us. Um, I, that concept was hard for me to understand. I come from a pretty legalistic background. Um, I had a West Pointer for a dad, and I had a Roman Catholic for a mom, and so they, we had lots of rules, you know? <laughs> we had lots of rules, and that is how I first understood Christ was in the, the, the rules. I understood what, God, what made God happy and what made God upset. But when I learned that Christ is interested in reaching out to me in the ways that make my heart sing, it was a new understanding of who Christ was. Because we have a God that reaches out to us. And it's crazy to think that we get to serve him for now and eternity. He wants us to notice him. Um, and, the, and I mentioned that he wants to do that in a way that speaks to each of us. And a simple way that I think of this that impacts my life um, is through nature. And so um, I wonder, like, maybe when was the last time you went for a walk on the 101, right? And, or when you saw, like, a beautiful flower or maybe a hummingbird um, or a really awesome wave or a radiant sunset, um, or maybe a dolphin, <laughs> right? Right, because, every, I mean, I don't know about you, I, when I see a dolphin, I just get like giddy with excitement, and I want everybody to know, like, look, there's a dolphin. It's just something that I, it just brings me awe and wonder pretty instantaneously. Um, and I take those moments, I take those moments of awe and wonder, or of incredible beauty, and I give them back to the Lord, because I think he's reaching out to me because he loves me and he wants my affection. And in the same way, he's doing that to you guys, right? He's reaching out to you. And a way to offer it back is to recognize it, to offer a wow or a thanks. It doesn't have to be super complicated. We don't have to make it into a really wordy prayer. It could just be a wow, Jesus, thanks. Or wow, thank you, God, for that. That was incredible. Because he is speaking to us, and he wants our affection. And if there's time, and if there's something that's going on in your life, and if there's something on your heart, then maybe that's the time Jesus is asking you to talk to him about it, right? So turning that wow or thanks into a, wow, thanks. Thanks for helping me realize that you're with me here and now. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this really hard thing going on at work, Right? Or, wow, I'd really, um, I'd love to share with you, God, about how I'm feeling about my kids. Or, Lord, I'm like full of anxiety because we're stepping into a new season as uh, a couple, and I don't know, I just don't know, right? We take these moments and pauses to recognize that Jesus is reaching out to us. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of our heart. And he's after your heart, and he's after your soul. And he wants you to draw near to him and share with him all that you have going on. Because marriage to Christ is that good. Uh, going back to the text, I think when Jesus said you missed the power of God, he was saying you can't comprehend, can't even begin to fathom the relationship that I get to have with my bride. Because that's powerful. That's the real stuff. And that if they had only known the resurrection power of God and what that meant, they would not have even brought up the law because they would know that my believers will be too busy being with, my, being with me 
that we won't think of earthly things. And, and just as he's bidding for our affection, uh, we also need to create room to respond to it. Because there are things in our life that have caused us not to notice him in his care. Um, which brings us to our second point, that eternity with Christ is well worth the price. And alliteration makes it that much better. But, uh, so eternity with Christ is well worth the price. So uh, let's put it into something that we understand. Uh, marriage, our marriage or relationships, um, they require sacrifice, right? Um, for those that are married, um, I want you to think about some of the things that you had to give up when you got married. And, and there's like a wide range of significance for sacrifice, right? Um, but maybe it was something small like uh, the brand of coffee you preferred. And that's the second time I brought up coffee, but it's clearly a core tenet in my marriage. <laughs> um, but I, I had to give up, I had to give up quiet mornings. Um, I didn't realize until I got married that I'm not a morning person. And um, Jake is the antithesis of a morning person. Like, his eyes open, he's like ready to go. I remember particularly one morning, probably in the first three months of marriage, he like opened his eyes and started to sing a song. <laughs> and like, I was not the Disney princess that responded, right? Like, yes, I was the troll under the bridge. Um, so maybe it's something like quiet mornings you had to sacrifice, right? Or maybe it's, it's big things. I want to recognize that in marriage, sometimes you have to sacrifice big things, like uh, moving away from your family or giving up a job. Like there are sacrifices that marriage requires. And for those that aren't, think of like a relationship, a friendship that you had to give up something for. Right? Relationships require sacrifice. And in the same way our, earth, our earthly marriage requires sacrifice, so does our marriage with Christ. Which means that like right now, in this present moment, in the weeks and months to come, we are actively sacrificing, giving up of things to be married to him. Um, we sacrifice our time, maybe. Um, we sacrifice our money to give to the poor because Christ tells us to. We sacrifice our energy in caring for the vulnerable or the orphan or the widow because he asked us to. Uh, we sacrifice ourselves dying to sin day in and day out so that we can shore up our relationship with Christ. So we repent daily knowing that we are sinful humans in desperate need of a savior. And we sacrifice, and we stay focused, and we don't get wooed by other lovers. Um, I was listening to a podcast with clinical psychologists on it um, who were saying that the number one reason a marriage falls apart is because of emotional distance. And again, the same thing can be applied to those not married. The thing that caused a friendship to die is that emotional distance, right? And it, it develops slowly which means it's so easy to miss. Because the emotional bond between people, between married people particularly, is linked to intimacy, security, trust, and care. And if we're not diligent about turning towards Christ as he bids for our affection, if we don't sacrifice for our relationship to him, we open ourselves up to the possibility of being wooed by others 
by other lovers, which leads to that emotional distance. And those others that I'm talking about most typically are power, it's money, and it's sex. And we are being wooed every day by other lovers. Uh, we are being wooed by money, right? Maybe there's a job that you're thinking of taking that has more money in it for you, but how is that actually going to impact your relationship with Christ, of being with him, of setting apart time for him? Or we, we drive by these beautiful stores on the 101 every time we come to church, and we say, well, maybe I'd rather buy a pair of Viore pants and give less to my church and my community, right? Or maybe we're scrolling on Instagram and those uh, ads pull up, pull up and we see uh, scantily clad women or chiseled men. We are being lured in by things that don't contain the power of God. And so if we go back to Matthew 22, 20, 29, it says... Uh, you misunderstood the scriptures of God and the power of God. And it's no coincidence that those two things are next to each other because it reminds us, which brings us to our third point, that the power of God, which is his love, comes from reading his scriptures. And there are so many spiritual disciplines to help us in our obedience to Christ, um, like fasting, like prayer, solitude. And we've mentioned prayer before in the offering of the wow and the thanks. Um, but the most easiest to know Christ and to hear his voice is through the scriptures. And by staying in the scriptures, we're not wooed by other things, right? Um, I know that everyone here has probably heard read your Bible countless times from loads of pastors, right? Uh, and depending on the particular time in your life, um, it can bring up shame because you're not in your Bible every day or as much as you would like to. And for other times in your life, it's like, I'm, I'm, going, I'm killing it with me and the Bible and Jesus. But I would say it typically brings me shame, right? Like, read your Bible. Okay, that's great. But like, how much? <laughs> or like, every other day work. <laughs> Um, and when Jesus calls out the Sadducees for misunderstanding the scriptures, he's not saying, like, man, you guys really missed too many devotionals, you know? Um, or if you just had, like, gone to Awanas more as a kid, you really would have those verses memorized. Um, but what Jesus is getting to is that they missed his heart in the scriptures. They missed that the point of reading the scriptures is communion with God. Uh, Mike Cosper, he's an executive pastor and podcast host, um, says in his book, Recapturing the Wonder, which I highly recommend, um, we need to preserve the Bible's character as personal speech exchanged between the lover and the beloved. And then later um, in the book, he says, a life of prayer, fasting, and spiritual disciplines can easily be a life of empty religious effort if the goal isn't communion with God. We don't need self-improvement. We need to come home. And I shared earlier that the Sadducees were obsessed with the Pentateuch, right? That's where they got their way of living from. Um, and, and the Israelites being with God, communing with God, is woven throughout those books. And, and they missed it. 
their lives revealed that they missed the power of God, even in those five books. Uh, They missed that Genesis described God's creation of this world and how when God made Adam and Eve, he wanted to be in relationship with them. How his creation would come to know their need of forgiveness from their creator and how God made a way. Or in, in Exodus, they would have marveled as God saw his people being marred by injustice and slavery and, chose to, and God chose to reveal himself to Moses by saying, I am Yahweh, I am who I am, which reveals his magnificent power and then his ability to deliver them. Or in Leviticus, when God gave his people personal access to him through worship, letting them know what was accepting to him. Or in Numbers, that God would care about recording those which he said would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then in Deuteronomy, how God's character would be revealed as faithful, loving, merciful, and jealous. The Sadducees followed the ways of these very foundational books of the Bible, and yet their adherence did not draw them closer to God. And so I ask you this morning, when you read the Bible, are you looking to commune with God? Or are you just checking the box of what good Christians do? Because I am certain that God wants to meet with us every time we open our Bible. He wants to spend time with you. Um, so let's go back to Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, Jesus is sharing with them an abbreviated version of, once again, Deuteronomy, which we know is in the... You guys are with me! (laughs) So we're going to flip to Deuteronomy 6.4. And it's like, it's in the, you know, in the Pentateuch. So, Deuteronomy 6.4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God with Oh, excuse me. Here is your the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them digi- diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, God knew that loving him with all of our mind, body, soul was going to be difficult to do because we're sinful people in need of a savior, and that marriage to him was going to be work. And so to help them do that in this time, um, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. He's saying you are going to be easily wooed by others. Do not forget me. Do not forget me. Do not forget me so much that I need you. I need it right here, (laughs) right? And in, and later in Jewish history, people would would take that seriously. They would literally bind it, bind the, those verses specifically around them. 
Um, and God promises the Israelites to, and what does God promise the Israelites? Should they love him with all their hearts? To bring them into the land he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 10, it says this, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. God promised them a land that was overflowing with milk and honey, houses full of good things, cisterns which they did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees they did not plant, all because their love of God. And Jesus pointed the Pharisees and the Sadducees back to the foundation of their religion in this book, which was to love him with all of their hearts. And what they didn't know is that he was also drawing their attention to the future hope in the resurrection. As we love him with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, we are promised the assurance of salvation and an eternity with him. And something really amazing happens when we're in this eternity with him. Uh, this, when I discovered this as I was preparing and reading, I geeked out, and I have told all of my colleagues in the last two weeks about this, so I'm excited to share it with you guys. Um, so let's turn to Revelation 22. So we were just in the very beginning of the Bible, right, the foundation, and now we're going to the very end, the literal last book of the Bible, and in fact, the last chapter even. So Revelation 22 says this, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing, were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. His name on all of our foreheads. The, remind, the reminder to love God that God said in Deuteronomy 6.4 will no longer be necessary. And instead, it will be replaced with his name because we are his, because we are his bondservants, his bride. Those that receive his full affection and in the presence of an almighty God, we won't have to remember to love God with all of our hearts, body, soul, and mind. Instead, we will be worshiping him in his presence. We will, made, we will be made complete in his presence, and we will know deep in our souls that he is good and worthy to be praised. And if that doesn't want to, you to yell hallelujah, 
I don't know what does. Because <laughs> right now we are waiting for that glory to come. And we need reminders. And we need to stay in the word. And we need to be in community to spur us on. Not to be better Christians, but to be more in love with Christ. To commune with him more. And while we are simpletons now, in full glory, we will have one response, which is to worship with the elders and the saints, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I implore you this week, notice his bids of affection for you. I promise you they are there. He's not manipulative in his love for us. He's not waiting for us to go to him. He has come to us and he's meeting us. So I implore you to notice those and to create space in your day to notice those. And maybe that means putting down your phone for that walk. Or maybe it means not taking that phone call with a friend that you talk every day, but maybe it just means creating space for you to notice that God wants to be in relationship with you. And take a look at your life and see what you're being wooed by. See if it's money. See if you've been really comparing to the Joneses down the street and what they have. Or maybe it's power. Maybe you're enjoying lately seeing other people's demise. Or maybe it's sex. Maybe your eyes have begun to wonder as with your heart. And, and ask God to reveal those to you as well, because those are just as important, because they are wooing you away from a lover that is so much better. And be encouraged that one day there will be an eternity with our bridegroom when our only response is to worship him forever and we won't have to be reminded to worship him. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, you are so good that you would want to be in relationship to us that you would want to draw our affection to you. God, we thank you that you are a good, loving God and that we can trust you completely. God, we ask that in this next week, you would help us be mindful of you and that when you do reach out to us, God, that we would be able to recognize that and offer you a prayer. And God, I ask that um, as there are lovers and wooers and idols in our lives, God, would you reveal that to us as well? God, we want our hearts to be full of you and on fire for you, and we know that when there are things that are distracting us and have captured our attention, that there's no space for you. So God, we ask that you would break those down this week. And Lord, we are just so amazed that you would give us people to do life with. And God, we ask that as we are in community, you would help our communities grow in affection towards you. And that you would give us boldness to help our brothers and sisters see the areas in their life that maybe they have turned blind to. So God, we are thankful for your Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the ways that you lead and guide us. And God, we are just so humbled to be in relationship with you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.